Hello and welcome again to another edition of Two Ways News. I'm Philip Jensen. Tony is away on his long service leave, as he indicated in his last edition. But we have a special guest here with us in Tala, who's been with us before, and will continue to fill in with Tony away. Tala, how are you? All right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm excited to be here again. Good. Have I mispronounced your name again? Oh, uh, it's pretty good. Tala is good. Uh, yes, good. <laughs> I'm glad you hear the difference. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to talk today about education. Uh, if you want to split the church, just talk to parents about where they should or shouldn't be sending their children because there's very few more touchy issues. I think music is possibly touchier, but schooling is pretty touchy when it comes to dividing Christian congregations. But let's see if we can talk about it in general terms enough not to divide at least you and me okay. if we can. Why education is in part because it's in the newspapers a lot at the moment. There's one newspaper in Sydney which every week seems to have another article attacking Christian schooling, boys' single-sex schooling and private schooling. Week after week, you get another attack on what is evil about these particular schools. But of recent times, there's been a whole series of articles about single-sex schools and boys' schools because a couple of fairly large, significant old schools are moving from single-sex boys' schools to co-education. And also some of the state schools are doing it too. So in my area out at Randwick, the Randwick Boys and the Randwick Girls School are now scheduled to be joined together as just Randwick High, which has led to some controversy in the local area. The boys' school doesn't seem to mind, but the girls' school is objecting, or at least many members are. And so there's been lots of discussions as to the pros and cons of single-sex schools and the evils of boys' schools, and then, of course, the evils of Christian schools, and so the real evils of Christian single-sex boys' schools. And so in the newspaper, it just keeps coming week after week, comment after comment. Now, I think, Tala, you didn't go to a boys' school. No, I did not. Uh, that's a strange thing, isn't it? So tell us about your schooling. Where did you go to school? Uh, so what I, kind of school? Yes. Well, I went to an ethnic Armenian school from kindy to year six and some of year seven, and that was yeah, co-ed as well. How big was that school? It was about 300 students, K to 12. So it's not a big school. All Armenian? At that time, yes. Right. Yeah. I see. And how much of the schooling was in Armenian? I mean, did you do physics in Armenian? Or- no. No. So we would have – it's, it's been a while, so I can't remember. But multiple times in the week we would have Armenian lessons and that would be not just learning the language but learning Armenian history and geography in Armenian. But then we had the rest of the curriculum in English but the students, the families were mainly were Armenian and they were keen for their children to grow up knowing the language and the community and being part of it. And the teachers were Armenian? Some of them were, but not all necessarily. Not all of them. Yeah. Anyway, that was primary school. That was primary. And then where did you go in high school then? So then I went to a Christian school in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also co-ed and that was um, my first kind of experience of having friends that weren't just Armenian. So that was a bit different, but Christian teachers majority Christian families in that school. Um, that and was that a, was lovely. a parent-controlled. It was a parent-controlled c- Christian, Christian school. school. Yes. I mean, we've got all kinds of different schools. We, we've got parent-controlled Christian schools. Then we've just got Christian schools. Then we've got denominational church schools, mm. 
which, which are quite different in their ethos. Yes. Did you teach in a parent-controlled or a Christian or a, a, a church school? No, Christian school. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you teaching? I was teaching students. In- students. What were you teaching the students? <laughs> I was teaching the students um, English, uh, high school English, and a bit of drama as well. You were the drama queen? Uh, <laughs> Uh, I had to learn. I wasn't drama trained, but I ended up doing some drama. It was a lot of space jump. You wouldn't, do you know what that means? No, I do not know what it means. But Drama students know what that means. Yes, yes. Well, you can see I didn't do drama. Yeah. I'm not dramatic as a person. No, no. So, I see. And so you taught for several years there? I taught for three years, yeah. Right. Yeah. And comparing and contrasting those three school experiences then mm. – what was it like moving from a, an ethnic school, which was Christian because Armenians are Christians, mm. to being a parent-controlled Christian school? Yeah. It was, I think, being in an Armenian school, everything was about being Armenian and maintaining the culture. And but you uh, weren't a normal Armenian, were you? Most yeah. Armenians are Armenian Orthodox. That's right. Whereas you were an evangelical Armenian. Yes. Oh, yes, that's right. And so that was a bit of a tension, I think, the Armenian school. Uh, because uh, there was resistance to the gospel, and that was hard to come across as a as a student. Um, and then, so going to a Christian school was just a wonderful relief. And I had wonderful Christian teachers who wanted to talk to me and encourage me in the Lord. Um, I think I was my English teacher who first told me about more college. Um, when I was talking to her about wanting to do ministry and she was encouraging me about that. So it was just a radically different experience for me as a student to have that kind of encouragement in living as a Christian. Right. And you would have seen the same thing at Christian school. See, I went to a state school Mm. for primary school and a lot of Jewish people in that particular part of Sydney But Christianity was part of the experience of school, I think. I mean, I grew up in the day when we sang God Save the Queen every morning. Mm -hmm. So God was there every day, mentioned in the national anthem. You never felt that it was anti-Christian. I mean, no one missed scripture. Everyone went to scripture, either Mm. to the Jewish scripture or to the Protestant scripture. Mm. There were no non-scripture people in the school. So... It was a state school, but it was still had that sense of the Christian ethos at that time. Then I went to a church school, and that's where I really came across non-Christians. Yeah. Because the church school in that time was a denominational school, was really about wealthy people. Hmm. Had very little to do with, I mean, there were divinity lessons and exams, but and there was chapel, which no one paid any attention to, and it was... I think the driving force of the school were the boarders, because it was a 50% boarding school, was sport. It right. Was, it was sport. That's that's what held us all together. How uh, often were you playing sport? Every day we could, yes. There was pr- training practice, except for Friday. Organised. It was, okay. was organised sport, and you played sport all Saturday. Yeah. You played Saturday morning and then you watched the first and Saturday afternoon. Mm. So sport was the dominant mm. drive, which it meant if you weren't a sporty person, you hated school. Yes. <laughs> you know, it was, but there was every known sport kind of available. There were many sports available to you. Mm. It was a school driven by the boarders. That's why you had school ran six days a week because you had Saturday mm. sport all day, which was compulsory. And Sunday chapel? 
No, for the boarders, yes, mm. but not the day boys. Yeah. I was a day boy. Yeah. So we've got different school experiences between the two of us. Yes. And I've taught scripture in the state schools, in high schools and primary schools, and that, again, is different. But it's, it's one of the problems I have about generalisations is each of the schools I have taught in has been different. Mm. And so, you know, I taught at McKellar Girls High and I taught at Balgala Boys High and they're just a couple of miles away from each other. They're, they were gathering students from the same area. But the culture of those two schools was completely different. Mm. The experience of teaching in them was different. I couldn't just That's take right. the lesson from one and use it in the other. It just would not have worked. Mm. I don't know if they're still single-sex schools, those two, or they've co-educated. I've lost touch with that part of Sydney. But, okay, so we've got lots of different school experiences. Yes. However, we've got to be careful not to generalise from society from our own experience. Mm. I mean, the only thing you know about primary school is Armenian. Mm -hmm. So I teach scripture as well now. You teach scripture now. (laughs) Just put that out there. I love my scripture teaching. (laughs) Yes. And that's in that same area of Sydney or...? Mm, well, I've taught in Bankstown. I've taught yes. in, and now I teach in Camaray. Which is close to where your school was. Well, no. not that close. Where was the Armenian school? In it Sydney? was in Ingleside. Oh, yes, it's further away, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yes, that was a trip to it itself each day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, if we're not going to generalise from our own experience, how do we think about education biblically? Yeah, I'm sure there are lots of people who do it. Hmm. But from the Bible's perspective, I think it starts in creation. I think that's where education would start. Okay, why creation? Why do we start there? Well, because God has created us as humans in this world to have dominion over this world. We're humans in his image, not because of our abilities, not because we can speak or make tools or things like that, but because he has given to us the responsibility of caring for this world. And because he's given us the responsibility for caring for this world, he's also given us the abilities to care for this world. It's not the animals who make musical instruments and who who speak to each other in the sophisticated languages that you and I are even Mm. using now or who create metalwork or buildings or trains or planes. or It's humans who are able to do it. But that's because God has created us to be the stewards of his world. Hmm. So what has education got to do with that? Well, one of the characteristics of humans is, of course, that we're born with great incompetency. You know, a little baby can't do very much at all except Hmm. let its opinions be known as it screams and squalls (laughs) and the rest. (laughs) It doesn't do much. And it's not till you're in your mid-20s that you finally your brain is developed into an adult brain. The the last part of the brain of development, the awareness of danger, comes in the mid-20s, which mm. explains why insurance policies for drivers set for mm-hmm. 25-year-olds, etc. And so it's, it's a long period of raising children mm. into the adult responsibilities that God has given to humans. Yes. And so that's what our education is about. Yeah, because when I read the Proverbs and you see that Proverbs is about raising a child, a son, and you see in Proverbs you have the sluggard, you have the liar, you have these different villains sort of throughout uh, Proverbs. And it strikes me that 
the sluggard, the liar, the thief are all things that we do as children, right? <laughs> Where well, we contribute very little as children. Um, we are liars. We take what we want without care for who we're taking it for. And so it looks like Proverbs is about raising a child through those years and uh, yes. teaching them what yeah. it is to be a man. Yes. And so with Proverbs, of course, it's the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Yes. The beginning of wisdom, yeah. I've been pondering about that because when you say to be wise is to fear the Lord, but it's just the beginning implying there's a continuation. And so the life of fearing the Lord, that's the continuing life. And so you start by fearing the Lord, but continue in it and be grow in wisdom. Age in the Christian life is a wonderful thing. And so you grow in wisdom in living, isn't it? Yes, yes. So, so education is much broader than passing the high school certificate or the A-levels or mm. whatever the system of education that you may have. Mm. It's a much broader thing. It's how to live. Mm. It's how to be wise. Yes. Who is responsible for it? Yes. Well, from Proverbs, it seems like it's a parent teaching. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I'm, sh I'm sure the family is. See, God creates us in his image, male and female, to create one humanity. Mm. And so the first thing that's said is not good in the book of Genesis is for man to be alone. It's the unity of the male and female which creates the family. And then Malachi is a lovely passage in Malachi 2. Well, it's not a lovely passage. It's actually a passage against divorce, which it's a very strongly spoken passage. But it tells you why God has united the man and the woman. It's so that we may have godly offspring. Mm. It's not so that we have offspring. Well, yes, that's true. It's procreation comes from the unity of the man and the woman. But so that we may have godly offspring. Mm. And so in a sense... One of the first elements of educating your children has to do with being united to your spouse. Offloading your children to school and offloading your spouse for somebody else, that is not raising children in godliness. Mm. That actually is damaging to children, isn't it? Mm. And so the family responsibility is very important. I mean, when you're a teacher, did you perceive the impact of family life in children? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can think of a lot of negative examples of as when family was breaking down, just how it impacted on children, their relationships with their peers, with their teachers, with their ability to even learn in the classroom. It was terrible to see yeah. that. And it's like housework, isn't it? It's, tell me a bit more about that. <laughs> well... When housework's done, you don't notice it. Yes. It's when it's not done yes. that it's noticeable. Yes. And so when mum and dad love each other and are loving the kids, mm. it's not noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Although the outcomes yeah. of their education is noticed. Yeah. There's a demographer who writes in one of our newspapers here in Sydney, a Roman Catholic background, recent article. He said, I, I won the lottery. Mm. He said, I was one of six children in a family that loved each other. We were poor. We were mm. in housing commission. Yeah. We had lino on the kitchen floor and the same lino on the kitchen table, which my father had built. I mean, they mm. were poor, mm. but he said it was full of love. Mm. And therefore, we had all the benefits that mm. come from a stable family. Mm. Because in the end, the best indicator of educational outcomes, even, say, the academic educational outcomes, the best indicator is family background. Yes. You know, the size of the class is not 
the significant factor or mm-hmm. the education of the teacher is not as significant a factor as mm. family background. Mm. And so the people who are responsible for education really are the parents. Mm. You bring children into this world, you ought to raise children. As you say, Proverbs is a good place to go, isn't it? You raise them in the fear of the Lord to teach them the wisdom of living, mm. isn't it? So, so if it all relies on parents... Could there be a fear in parents that, um, am I good enough? Am I doing enough for my children? Yeah, it's a reasonable fear. And yes, you're not doing enough, whatever it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. You, you can't. You can't ever do enough. But we need to have more confidence. What I'm saying is the family that functions well mm. will function well educationally, mm. whether it intends to or not. Mm. Our children are great imitators of us. Yes. And so if we are loving each other and caring for each other, treating each other honestly, the children will pick it up. Mm. Whereas when the family dynamics are in disaster territory, the children will pick that up as well. And so we've got to be careful of not having the the hover parents who are down at the school complaining about everything that's happening all the time Mm. as as if they can't let the children go. Mm. Part of the confidence of good parenting is to put the children out into the world. Mm. But good parenting means they keep debriefing the children when they come back from the world <laughs> mm. and talking with them about what's happening and praying for them about it, etc. But the quality of family life mm. will out. You don't have to create the good family life to make sure that your children do well. Mm. You can't put it on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, so Philip, then how do we think about public education? If it's all about the family, what do we do with that? Well, most of the education in the Bible is about family or it's about teachers and disciples in terms of Christian teaching. There's very little about public education. Mm. It's not that it's a wrong thing. In fact, Christians are the people who created public education because of our concern for society and for children. And you can think of examples in the Bible, Moses learning at Pharaoh's court and uh, Daniel learning at Belshazzar's at the Babylonian court. And you can think of people going to some form of non-family education. That's not a wrong thing. But it's not the fundamental thing. Mm. The fundamental thing is what the family does. Mm. The government... The government overstretches itself all the time. Governments have this tendency to overstretch themselves. And see, the fundamental work of government is justice. That's what Romans 13 is teaching us. That's the basic work of government. Well, in terms of education, it's important that they exercise justice in terms of caring for the children whose parents are evil, because sadly there are evil parents in this world, Mm. parents who won't educate their children, parents in another generation who put them into factories in early ages and didn't care for them. And so the government needs to create standards of education, Mm. provide for widows and orphans, a good thing to do. Christians have done it in the past, but, you know, the government do it is we should encourage them to be doing it and so there's nothing wrong with government education per se but the trouble is governments want to take over education Hmm. and use the educational systems to promote governmental policies and ideas Hmm. so in one sense government should be reactive to the injustices of the world Yes. Um, But there's an issue when it functions in the reverse. Well, sometimes your reaction can be preventative. Hmm. You know there will be 
bad parents who don't send their kids to school. Hmm. So you can set up that school is compulsory and have truancy officers already trained up to go and look after these problems. So it can be preventative, it can Mm. be anticipatory, but, yes, it's there to make sure that everybody has opportunity. Hmm. But they do want to do much more than that all the time. They keep wanting to interfere to the point of censorship Mm. And social engineering, that these are the books that we all must read. This is the curriculum we must follow, Mm. which has to do with them imposing their value system on the society. Mm. And in a society where everybody has a cultural agreement, they can do it. But in a society like Australia, which has embraced multiculturalism, It now runs into a contradiction because it has promoted that everybody should be free to be educated in their own ways. Armenian Mm. schools. Yes. Which is a lovely thing. We have a whole Armenian community living with us here. So we have a school for them to preserve their culture and to learn how to live in our culture with an Armenian worldview. Mm. But... There's the problem because the society wanted to create an educational system in the Enlightenment worldview where everybody's going to learn the same thing. Mm. Everybody's going to think alike. The culture is going to be united. You can't have it both ways. So inclusiveness always excludes people. Yes. (laughs) That's part of the problem. And our education system has run into that difficulty. Mm. How does it cope with it? Badly. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Our schools are in problem. Yeah. That is, why are we interested in schools? Why are they in the newspapers all the time and on the media? Well, it's because this is where the rubber hits the road, where the people who run the country actually are confronted with every citizen in the country. Hmm. And it doesn't work. You have a school where there are Jewish children and where there are Palestinian children. Well... That is not going to be a happy environment at the moment Mm. when this war is raging at the moment. And so it doesn't work. Mm. It used to be lined along sectarian terms, whether you're Catholic or Protestant. Mm. But today it's lined around secularist terms, whether you accept God in creation or whether you are against God ever being mentioned in the world. And... Since the late 20th century, we've seen the rise of Christian schools and ethnic schools and other religious schools, which constantly is undermining the secularists' hope Mm. of one education system for everybody. How did this come about here in New South Wales? The Christians started the schools. Then in the push for total schooling, everyone going to schooling, uh, the fights really about sectarianism, raged in the 19th century and was confused with the issue of secularism as well. Secular is one of those ambiguous words which Christians use because we believe in God in our world, but secularism is the view of the non-Christian, that there is no God, there's only this world. And so you use the word secular and the two groups hear the different things. Hmm. And Victoria disagreed with New South Wales about the meaning of the word secular. I mean, it was, but sectarianism we fought against. However, by the mid 20th century, 
there were so many children in the Catholic school system that there was an injustice in the government. That is, the Catholics were paying taxes, which were used for the public education system, but then also having to pay fees for their schools. They complained. The Bishop of Goulburn in the early 1960s, that is the Catholic bishop, he closed all their schools so as to force the hand of the government to start funding private schools. Mr Menzies then fought an election in the early 1960s, I think about 1963 or four, promising state aid to uh, private schools. He won the election, he brought that in, which was a huge change in the system in the 1960s. Gough Whitlam expanded it even further to the horror of the secularists, but the reaction came from a group called the Defence of Government Schools, an acronym which spells dogs, Mm -hmm. and they took it to the High Court, and the High Court made a very important ruling in 1981. They established that the Constitution of Australia did not uphold American separation of state and church nor did it uphold the English system of a recognised state church. What we had was an anti-sectarian constitution. The government could give money to Christian organisations and Muslim and Buddhist and Jewish organisations, provided they didn't make any distinction between the different sects. Mm. And so since the 1980s, Enormous amounts of money has been poured into private education in New South Wales Mm. and in Australia, because it's an Australian constitutional issue. But that's had some funny consequences. It's meant the development of new Christian schools, so the kind of schools you went to and taught in, didn't exist before then, Mm. right? The old church schools, they're, they're very old, but the Christian schools started up not only Christian schools, but Armenian schools. And yeah, because it's coinciding as Australia's becoming more and more multicultural as well. At that at time, time as well, yes. And so now, I don't know the figures precisely, but it's something in the order of one third of our children are educated in private schools. And it's growing. Yeah, okay. And the state schools are getting smaller. Hmm. But it's also had another collateral damage, that is Christians have withdrawn from state schools, which means the state schools are becoming increasingly secularist Mm. in their viewpoint. And so the dogs have won and lost. They lost the argument in the constitution, but they've now won the state schools Mm. into the kind of secularism that they wanted. Yes, We still have religious education. You still teach scripture in schools. I do. But there's terrific pressure to stop that Mm. as well. And that's sad because it's confusing to our society. But it's also in the curriculum. I mean, when you taught English, mm. what were you teaching? How to read English? How to speak English? No. We were teaching students to deconstruct text. I think that's what we kept doing in English. That was what the curriculum was about. It was yes. very sad. <laughs> yes. And so you now have a philosophy being taught, yes. which is very religious, But because it's atheistic religion, Mm. it's not called religious, Mm. but it's in the state system. Mm. And rather than teaching people to read English or write English, we're teaching people not to trust. Mm. And then we find out that lots of trust in the community is being undermined. Yeah. But it's being part of that secularist worldview. Yes. Yeah. And so education is important to us all. 
and the Christian involvement in it is complicated. There's been also a growing number, of course, of homeschooling, which again is a Christian reaction, not only Christians, but Mm. Christian reaction to the secularisation of the old state school systems and the dissatisfaction with the church schools. Mm. And so as a society, well, it's like the referendum, that is. <laughs> Which, what, tell us about the referendum. <laughs> well, we had this referendum recently about changing our constitution with regards to Indigenous Australians. All the leaders of the community, <laughs> in terms of the academics, the school systems, the local councils, the, the sporting heroes, the entertainment people... They all were for it. Mm. And people in the inner city, people who are educated, people who are young, voted yes. But 60% of the population voted no. That is, the intellectual, cultural leadership of the community, unbeknown to them, Mm. were out of step with the society as a whole. Yes. And they've, they've been horrified by the result. It's an interesting illustration of the kinds of problems that you see also at schools because everybody has to go to school. Mm. And so the conflicts over schools between, again, the community as a whole and that intellectual, cultural leadership who run the school system, there's a big gulf Mm. which is creating considerable unhappiness. But Christians are involved because God is the creator of this world who's created us as families to educate our children that we might raise them in godliness. Mm. So you can understand why when we talk at church, should I send my children to the state system or homeschool them or the Christian school or the church school, we, we're in conflict. Mm. When we shouldn't be, we should just support each other because yes. each parent has to make choice for their own children. And every child is different. And every child is different. So we finish by praying. Would you like to lead us in prayer? I would love to. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your wisdom. We thank you that you have created a world in which we live and in which we can raise children. We thank you for godly families and godly children, and we pray that you would be equipping parents to teach their children the fear of the Lord. And we pray that godly parents would be raising children in your wisdom and in your ways. And please give them wisdom as they think of how they might guide their children through this world that you have given us to live in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.